1: Greetings and welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. I've got a great guest for you today. His name is David Hasenauer, and David actually was on my agricultural podcast that we call The Business of Agriculture, and he's got such a great story. I thought it'd be good for anybody that's starting their business, runs their own business, wants to run their own business, entrepreneur, self-employed, freelancer, because this dude is cool he has a bachelor's degree in marketing he has a law degree he also was an active duty army a uh, uh, member of the army in our armed services for 4 years uh he's a 32 year old guy and he started a company called greenpoint research greenpoint research is in the hemp business so welcome to the show david hasnow
0: thank you thank you for having me again uh I look forward to talking the business side of things today i think it's uh Interesting
1: intersection between the two, and I uh, uh, really enjoy speaking with you last time, and look forward to this. Yeah, well, you've got uh, you're like a 1,200 lessons almost on the business of agriculture podcast already. We just dropped that a week ago because the whole thing about hemp is is like brand new territory, and uh, a lot of people are really interested. In and I'm just thinking to myself, man, there's so many great lessons about now. You're you're getting outside funding, and you're growing this entire thing, and this has all just started in the last year or two. So let's go back to the beginning. Okay. You, you're in the army. You're an army brat. You're raised in Georgia. Uh, you've got a college degree. Then you decide to go back to law school. Then you say, when did you make this decision? I'm going to start my own business. And of all things, it's going to be based on marijuana. Yeah.
0: So I was, uh, I was
1: getting out of the army and uh, looking around what was happening. And it was
0: kind of the green rush was really picking up uh, its pace. The Colorado and Washington at the time had just legalized Uh, And you kind of started to see the writing on the wall about what the industry would be. Uh, So I I knew that's where I wanted to focus. I had some connections out in Colorado and went out and started to run some things to ground about what the possibilities were. And uh, and that's kind of what actually spurred me to go to law school is that I noticed there was a whole bunch of mom and pop shops that didn't have any traditional business infrastructure or know-how. And that there were a lot of places where you could come in and fill the gaps and, and really uh, be a big benefit. So that was, uh, uh, you know, just kind of the timing and uh, the natural, uh, market forces and just kind of seeing what opioids and some of these things were doing to my friends in the service and how unnatural that was. And it just, it was so logical. I was like, well, people are using this and there's no real adverse effects. Like, why, why are, are we doing this? And it actually kind of pushed me into the policy side of it. And then, uh you know in any regulated industry the government is always going to be your your biggest business partner and uh so got integrated there and, and so
1: what, what year okay yeah so first off uh, everybody that's listening applaud this guy because first off they're looking at the opioids there's no question you know these lawsuits are happening uh the state of oklahoma what was it 170 million dollars or something against johnson johnson most people didn't even know johnson johnson you know we were shocked about the whole talcum powder baby powder thing who knew that they even were in the opioid business this is something i see that's going to be really uh continual every state now is going to sue opioid manufacturers and yeah it is some pretty nasty stuff uh your you know your your guys are getting banged up uh, ieds and all that then they just get addicted to pain pills so you're thinking to yourself the answer must be marijuana you're thinking that's what the answer is going to be what year was that uh
0: so that i was getting out in 2014 uh, 2013 actually leading into 2014 uh, as i was transitioning out like i said i i'd been involved in it. I'd hurt my ankle in in some training. And so I had, you know, been in a recovery brigade with a bunch of gentlemen that were unfortunately addicted to these things. And it just, like I said, it was, it just seemed like a natural pathway that I think 2012 was when the first kind of big legalization movement started happening. And then I get out in 2013 and then that kind of, spurns my interest into the industry. It just seemed like a, a much more natural path uh, to, to care and, and you know in, and medicine than what we were presenting uh, to these soldiers. So it just kind of was a, a natural pathway out based on my experience and
1: sure okay so it's about six years ago you're sitting there looking at this and you think, okay maybe there's an answer with marijuana and by then uh, by 2014 it was already legal in like the state of Washington state of Colorado and you're thinking this is the direction to go then you made the pivot. The pivot's an overused word. You and I both can agree in corporate, yeah. corporate vernacular. They like to talk about pivoting, 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 which is funny. Uh, half have these corporate schmucks uh, have never made a pivot. They can't, they can't make a change. They do the same thing today that they did 40 years ago if they were, if they were left to their own devices. But you, you said, I'm going to make a big, huge change. I think the answer now is really more on the fiber or the hemp or the oil. How'd that all come to you?
0: Uh, we were we were modeling things out. So we had started out as consultants, uh, providing uh, expertise to cannabis industry operators. And then, so when we decided we were going to start our own thing, we we were modeling it out, and we were running all these scenarios. And uh, one of the unique things about the, the the marijuana legalization is it happens at a state by state level. So you have this tremendous uh, mismatch of rules that are inevitably detrimental to scaling and operating a business. And then you, you kind of go backwards even further and you're starting to look at it from an agricultural perspective. And you're like, well, these guys are investing millions and millions of dollars to grow a plant indoors. Like, uh, there's no way we can convert electricity into photosynthesis more efficiently than the sun. Otherwise we wouldn't be growing crops outdoors. Um, so you, you see kind of these, incongruencies in the market. And then so simultaneously with this is we're doing this consulting work And the 2014 farm bill is passed and authorizes hemp pilot projects in a, in a limited scope. Uh, so our, our agronomist partners out in Colorado to consult on the very first hemp farm in the U S and, uh, we start learning about it. And then we just realized the market potential is just so much bigger. We're not limited to a, a specific number of medical patients in one state only. We don't have to go out and get a ton of different licenses. We're talking about producing bulk agricultural commodities that are distributable around the world. Uh, and, and you do the kind of the blue ocean scenario. And we, you know, you talk about textiles and fiber and grain and food and energy and all these things. And all of a sudden the hip market, the total addressable hemp market is like $9 trillion versus, you know, four or 5 billion. If you're able to fight at a state by state level and run around and compete with all these, large uh kind of what we call multi-state operators in the cannabis space like you know MedMen and canopy growth and these larger individuals and it's just uh it just didn't make sense for us strategically with uh the resources we had the capital we had available and 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 just kind of the other externalities about being in the industry with banking insurance and capital raising all being difficult in the the sense that it's still federally illicit. And, and we still even ran into that a lot with, you know, navigating the hemp space. We've had our bank accounts taken away several times. We've had-
1: <laughs> Wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. First off, uh, and this is my friend, David Hasnauer with Green, Greenpoint Research. And uh, a couple of times we've broken up here. I'll make sure you've got your other apps closed down, right? So we have all our bandwidth available. I do, uh, I do. Okay. Who in the world okay, you're just out here growing hemp and you're saying, I'm gonna have a hemp processing facility and you get your bank account shut down. Is that by the state? Is it by a local jurisdiction? Who, who's doing that?
0: It's the banks themselves, their uh, compliance checks, whatever uh, we flag on, on whatever their screening process is and they, we get a notice and says, hey, you have 30 days to find a new place for your money. We're no longer carrying it. That makes things kind of tough for a startup business. Oh my God. You wouldn't believe. I mean, trying to find new bank accounts, you're uh, you know, not only that, but you don't have traditional lending. It's, you know, we're paying hundred percent, you know, cash upfront for any infrastructure we need. There's no debt service. You don't have the traditional lines of insurance because you have, you know, what are called federally admitted insurers, which is kind of like the FDIC, which is a federal fail safe for catastrophic insurance. Well, as such, no admitted insurers will carry anything related to hemp or cannabis. Well, now that, that's starting to change now. Well, thank
1: goodness because, you know.
0: The Farm Bill, but even up until, I mean, we had our last bank account canceled in March of this year. That was after the 2018 Farm Bill had already passed and it had become federally legal. Banks were still uh, kicking
1: Well, one more reason for me and you to hate banks. I get mad about banks, even though I'm friends with my banker because he's a small uh, local and regional type uh, community banker. But here you are, you got this business going. And like you said, even after the 2018 Farm Bill legalized the production and processing of hemp, you're still fighting this because the bank uh, within the bank themselves say we're dropping it.
0: Yeah, and we uh, one in- big thing for the industry is we still don't have access to payment solutions, credit card processing. Uh, most companies still aren't handling hemp companies despite the, the change in uh, legalization. So it is, there's still a lot of uh, very unique issues for our industry as opposed to other traditional ag interests or just any traditional business as, as it stands. Sure. So
1: David, I'm thinking here, okay, you very smartly, you said you think Uh, that the space for cannabis is going to be a little bit crowded or I think more importantly, what you're telling me is it's going to be so well capitalized and I'll give you my reading on that. Altria, the parent company of Philip Morris, which makes Marlboro cigarettes, the most popular brand of cigarettes on the globe, uh, bought a 40 to 50% stake in the biggest cannabis company up in Canada. And I can't remember the name of it right now, but I remember reading this article as an agriculture guy and thinking, wow, if, if Altria, Uh, you know, a Philip Morris type company is coming in. That tells me this is real. You're thinking I can raise some money. I I got this company, Greenpoint Research. I can raise some money, but I can't possibly go head to head with (laughs) Marlboro money. Is that kind of what it came to?
0: Uh, yeah, that was, that's part of it. Cause, uh, when you're talking about a, a regulated industry, where we're going to have to fight on a state by state basis to achieve market share, you know, when you, when you take that in, you're, you're going to pay for lobbying, uh, local legal experts, you're paying for business development and you have specialty real estate agents. So you're going to have to duplicate your efforts on your, your resources, every new jurisdiction you want to enter from the marijuana standpoint. And that's just so pricing, like, you know, your startup you're thinking, how am I going to most effectively leverage my capital? You know, it can't be going around and trying to win those battles. And then on top of that, once you are successful and do get licensure in those places, then you got
1: to set up retail brands, which cost. Uh, a huge amount of money so right 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 because now like when when hemp i'm sorry when cannabis goes that direction there i do see eventually there will be a branding of this you know there's a time when you just went to the store and bought tobacco and rolled your own cigarettes call it you know 150 years ago and then there became marlboro so this will happen on the cannabis side and there's greenpoint research you've got a nice company you've got millions of dollars of backing but millions of dollars of backing isn't billions of dollars of backing, which is what the Marlboros and the the Salems and the Camel Lights and all that are going to bring to it. So you said, I've got the ability to go hemp. And also, I'm thinking the regulations on hemp are a little more national versus state to state. Is that accurate? Uh, absolutely. Especially when it comes to the, the transport of the, the bulk products
0: afterwards, you know, you still have some uh, quite a bit of variance in how they regulate internally in hemp with, you know, compliance testing, and extraction methodologies, and all the different uh, permitting requirements, requirements. So there's definitely still variability, but it's to a much lower degree, and there's much lower barriers to entry generally. Okay. Um, And I think when we're talking about it, too, we're projecting out the long term. One of the things we noticed doing consulting work with a lot of these things is that the the supply chain is very blurry by nature of the industry and the cottage uh, uh, scenarios that have arisen. There's a lot of vertical integration, but not out of achieving efficiencies out of necessity because the other components of the supply chain didn't exist in close proximity to these marijuana businesses.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's, for the person that says, wait a minute, I run a subway franchise. What the heck's he talking about? Or the person that says, Hey, you know, I've got, uh, I've got nine dry cleaners, but I'm not sure what he's talking about. It. What we're saying is, uh, because of necessity, a producer of the, in, in regular agriculture, let's say I grow corn, but I don't then have the, uh, the, the need to take the corn, uh, process it into, uh, corn oil, (laughs) then bottle it into a bottle and slap a Wesson label on it, and then also distribute it to the grocery stores, and then also do the point of purchase marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Vertical integration doesn't happen for most of those things, or certainly not up and down the line. You're saying that in your industry, just because, David, there wasn't the infrastructure in place, it became, we have to do that. And you now don't want to do that. You don't think your job is going to be completely vertical integrated. You're going to be part of it absolutely and that that's you know where we see this movement as it moves
0: into a bulk commodity uh, you can't do everything it's it's too cumbersome you're trying to boil the ocean it would be uh, an impossible task um, and that's why regular ag companies don't do that because it's just it's already difficult enough to grow a product and then deliver it identity preserved to a manufacturer then try and encompass all that other portion sure. of the supply and value chain. is just a yeah, tremendous So,
1: undertaking. so your, your company, Greenpoint Research, is thinking what you're going to do is you're going to be the uh, producer, and you're also going to contract with farm owners and farmers to produce the green product for you. You're going to then be the processor, not necessarily the trucker, not necessarily the transport. You're going to be grower or contract grower, and then you're going to be processor. Then when you get done touching it, what happens? Uh, then, then we ship it off to those bulk manufacturers, uh, whether it's
0: cosmetics or CBD specific brands or, you know, health supplements that are adding CBD to their, their products. And then, uh, and really it's going to be a, a greater myriad of products. than that, as we continue our R and D, we're looking at 3d printing mediums. We just left Oak Ridge national laboratories, uh, last week. And we're very inspired about some of the carbon fiber applications, uh, for the market as we move ahead. So uh, but the, the gist of it is that each of these manufacturers have very specific requirements. So, you know, like you're saying, in, in with the Wesson corn oil, I'm, I'm hundred percent positive that they know exactly what, uh, piece of the corn germplasm that they want grown by who and where to be delivered to specific oil presses to, to you know, create that grade of oil that'll have this specific flashpoint, uh, and so, you know, and that's where we're going is right now you have a mismatch of farmers just kind of growing all kinds of seeds just to see whatever works. And as we continue, you know, we do have a specialty and seed genetic R&D. Uh, that's where the industry's headed to is that we're gonna have specialized uh, acreage origination depending on the manufacturer. Yeah, right yeah. now,
1: right now, what you're saying is there's not enough refinement. I'm not talking about refining the oil. I'm talking about refinement of the business model. Where they say, you know what we need? The marketplace needs 100 million tons of, or 100 tons of this. Right now, it's kind of like you say it's it's so much a wide, wild open, wild uh, territory, wild, wild west, if you will. It's like, yeah, we haven't quite got it figured out that. This manufacturer specifically wants this. You know, the Wesson corn oil people want this, and the people over here that make uh, cow feed want this. That's what you're saying needs to happen on hemp. Absolutely, and, and that's the things we're gonna we're gonna
0: learn as the industry grows. We're you know we're gonna get integrated with these manufacturers, and they're you know and as they start to adopt hemp based substitutes, you know they're gonna have their own specifications for what they want, whether it's a specialty grade of pulp for paper products or cooking oil pressed from the, the seeds of hemp or whether it's, uh, the type of bass fiber that comes out for insulation, carbon fiber, biochar, whatever the end use is. And yeah, we're, we're still such a nascent industry. That's what, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur is already hard. It's it's, it's really hard when, you know, the rules change every couple of years and it's, you know, rapidly evolving. Uh, it's, it's definitely helps spin the flywheel faster because chaos uh, creates opportunity, but it is, a uh, it's definitely been a unique challenge from, you know, I have a background in some real estate stuff too. And I I mean, they couldn't be more polar opposites where real estate is just such an ingrained industry that has these set standards and practices and, and such a regular deal flow versus something that, you know, we don't even have UCC contracts. We're still developing the best way to contract for these goods. So it's a, I mean, it couldn't be more different than most other industries I've participated in.
1: From an entrepreneurial standpoint, you started this thing and then are you the person in charge or did you have to cede some of that to get other folks to buy in? Uh, no, I'm, I'm still in charge. That was actually uh, very important to me
0: when we went through our, our first capital raise, uh, which is something that is so important to a, a, an entrepreneur. You know, Choosing the right investor is probably the... the uh, one of those critical indicators of how successful your business is going to be.
1: Um, well, and- in my in my book, Do Business Better, David, I talk about that very point, and I say, for God's sakes, you've got all sorts of people that um, they they believe themselves to be business owners and they believe themselves to be entrepreneurs, and then they need an infusion of cash, so they bring in outside, whether it's their uncle, uh, their parent or a capital raise like you, where you're getting millions of dollars and all of a sudden you seed control and you're now just another employee for them in that regard. And I think that that's a big thing. I've never been controlled by uh, a bank or a, a backer and it's good that you didn't do that. How were you able to pull that off? Uh, you know, like I said, I think it was uh,
0: shopping for the, the right investors. We uh, were patient, we had a good platform and we were, you know, uh, financially stable at the time with what we were doing. Uh, so we were able to be a little bit more selective in, in who we chose. And, you know, you, you typically think of due diligence in, uh, an investment really only coming from an investor but for an entrepreneur and especially young entrepreneurs, where this was the first kind of major capital raise I'd ever been through. Uh, you know, I luckily enough, I was able to have some good mentors that impressed upon me the importance of that due diligence facing investors. Uh, but it is, it's so critical. And if you don't do it, you're going to end up, you know, Shanghai'd on something you weren't expecting down the road. Uh, and even if you have to cede control, at least make sure you're ceding the control to people that you trust and and have enough uh, knowledge base in your area of business to give you informed strategy. You know, I don't think control is necessary. Uh, I was a little more adamant about it because of the nature of our business and where I felt our team's expertise was as far as decision-making versus the mass of the rest of the public. Um, but you know, it, it's separate from that. You can definitely be successful. Just make sure you're, you're aligned, uh, in vision and 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 in strategy for the most part.
1: David, how big is Greenpoint right now? What does it look like? A Number of people involved and production, and you're beginning to really actually get stuff producing going out the door. Yeah, so we're
0: uh, our our seed production facility in Colorado is is still limited in scale, but we're uh, we're pivoting. We're about to close on. Uh, almost 700,000 square feet of irrigated nursery facility in uh, South Florida that will greatly produce our, our seed production and foster, uh, uh, you know, the market we needed down here in Florida as it grows. And then we have 450 acres of, of row crop, uh, you know, with 150 of that being under our direct management. I mean, I mean, I mean, is mean, the acres of, of crop uh, 450, which is, you know, is tiny in any other agricultural. Sector. But in hemp, uh, that's a hell of a lot of, that's a hell of a lot of tons of hemp. Yeah. I mean, uh, so th- to put th- that in perspective, you know, when we made this pivot to straight production that those 450 acres plus the 700,000 square feet of nursery operation make us bigger than just about every publicly traded Canadian company when it comes to, uh, of cannabis.
1: So, okay. And then you've uh, got the processing and how far along is the processing facility? Uh, so it's, uh, it's about halfway through development. We have the site, we've
0: done all the engineering, we've ordered the the first, uh, phase of equipment and there's a huge lead time. There's about a nine month lead time on our extraction equipment. We're using a, a cryo ethanol and, uh, for scalability purposes to get the CBD out. But, uh, you know, this is one of those things where we feel very lucky again, where we're kind of coming in at what we like to call lead 2.0, where we've seen all the mistakes and scaling issues of the first couple iterations of businesses go through. And now we are coming in with some, you know, sound, very proven
1: technology. So, uh, when I said, where does it go one year from now, if we talk and hope to do, what's the story going to be one year from now?
0: One year from now, we're, uh, we hope to be the largest biomass or hemp biomass originator in the U S we'd like to have, uh, our secondary extraction site up and running in, uh, in Florida. We've already started to do some site selection and, uh, you know, we we're you know, as far as scope of people, we're between Colorado here and Columbia between full-time employees and, and consultants that we have working for us full-time. We're about 30 people. Uh, we think we're going to be over 100 a hundred people and, and, be with about probably 15,000 acres under management about a year from now.
1: That's fantastic. All right. His name is David Hasenauer. His company is called Greenpoint Research. Since this is a brand new, uh, a brand new horizon, a brand new, I uh, shall we say, uh, frontier, if people want to learn about this, where should they go? And then we'll learn about what uh, you're doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you want to learn about Greenpoint Research, obviously you can visit our website, greenpointresearch.com. And uh, if you want to learn more about the industry as a whole, I would recommend uh, the Hemp Industries Association, and that's the hia.org. And uh, they're a preeminent trade association for the business. They've been around for 25 years now. They've fought several court battles uh, in the Ninth Circuit, defending the, the viability of hemp as a commodity. And they're just uh, one of the preeminent sources for, for knowledge in the industry. And if they don't have it directly, they'll definitely be able to connect you with one of their members. That does. And,
1: then, and then since we all are in sales, if you, if you say, uh, I, I need some more customers, who's the person that can call you? Who's the person that can email you tomorrow and be a customer?
0: Uh, we got a couple. If you're a farmer that's looking to grow a new cash crop, well, we'd love to provide you with seeds. Um, so we have those available right now. You can uh, purchase those through our website, uh, greenpointresearch.com. And do they,
1: uh, do they also get a contract uh, of a place to go with the
0: product then once it's produced. Uh, they can. So we have a couple different options. We can either do uh, just a co-marketing agreement where we don't actually repurchase. Sometimes we do, uh, you know, like I said, a forward contract where we sell the seeds and, and then purchase the biomass on the back end. Uh, and then some contracts are just straight seed sales or seed starts. Uh, so we have a, a variability in our contracting, but, uh, on top of that, we'll also sell bulk CBD, derivatives so any cosmetic m- manufacturers, uh, you know natural product makers, uh, co-packers that want to introduce CBD to their their lines or if you're a CBD company it seems like there's quite a few of those popping up nowadays uh, We'd love to sell you whatever uh, you need to make the best quality product you can.
1: That's awesome. This is uh, this is the Do Business Better podcast, and I just love the guy's story uh, because he's going after it in kind of some uncharted territory as a young entrepreneur, and I think that's fantastic. Uh, the company's Greenpoint Research. Look them up, and uh, until then, David, thanks for being on here, man. Uh, Thanks for having me, Damien. It's a pleasure as always. I love the explanation. Love the way you outline everything. You can back up everything that you've done, why you've done it, what you think, you know, forward-looking. When I talk about in my book about risk tolerance, drive, uh, you know, resilience and vision. Now the resilience, you know, he's going to still have to prove some of that because there's going to be a couple more choppy waters here for a while. I have a feeling, but I'm sure this guy's going to get through it just fine. But the vision of where this company is going a year from now, three years from now is fantastic. Check them out. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Damien. Have a good day. You bet. Till next time, it's the Do Business Better podcast.